0: Financial advisor Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, December 28th, 2023 edition. And guess what? We have one more trading day left in the year, and then 2023 will be in the record books. And Our job here is really to not look back too much on the year that was. It is important, but only important as to the lessons that will be gleaned from those asset movements and how we can apply them to next year and beyond. And usually the best lessons are those that are unexpected and to teach you that you should expect the unexpected the expected path is really the one that actually plays out just the way markets are so we're going to help you navigate not just 2024 but beyond So I'm Justin Klein and I'm excited for this hour with you answering your finance and investment questions with my unbiased answers developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. Now we're going to look at the market performance for today hint hint very boring second we're going to look at the topics we're going to discuss on the show but as always we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hi, Justin. I had a question about your 401k segment yesterday. You were talking about maxing out the 401k.
2: If you're in a tax bracket where you can't qualify for a Roth IRA, I have after-tax 401k, so not not a Roth 401k, but an after-tax. Would you say for those who cannot qualify for a Roth IRA, would that be a vehicle for... Money pass employer match, or would you still recommend going to that traditional IRA? All right, thank you.
1: Well, this is something you probably should be discussing with your CPA and what makes sense. Four hundred one ks, four hundred one ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, Roth four hundred one ks, etc. It's all very simple. People try to get too complex with it. And it's a very simple thought process. It is called tax arbitrage. That's all this is. Tax arbitrage. What is my tax rate today? And what do I expect my tax rate to be in the future? If you're in a high tax bracket, the best odds are you avoid those taxes today. If you're in a high tax bracket. Because in the future, you'll probably be in a low ta- lower tax bracket. Probably. Probably. And if you're not, you're, then you're roughly the same tax bracket. No big deal. So if you're in a high tax bracket, getting as much money as you can into a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k, getting that write-off so you're not paying those taxes today. And then maybe in the future, you do Roth conversions at a lower tax rate, for example. That's something that, sh- that that's how you should think about Whether you should invest in or put money, contribute, excuse me, into a traditional IRA 401k or a Roth IRA 401k. So it sounds like you're in a high tax bracket. Roth shouldn't be something you really think too much about. Unless it's part of a broader strategy and usually you have have income limits there. Obviously a Roth 401k, you don't have that. So that could be an option. Um, but once again, I'd have to know your situation and your tax situation. And this is something, if you don't have a CPA that's helping you with this, you probably need a new CPA. Okay. So hope that lesson will, uh, kind of inform all of you how to think about this. Cause people try to get too deep in the weeds and make too many, uh, to start to do too many mental gymnastics on what accounts they should contribute to. And it's just about your tax rate, and then your ability to contribute to those accounts. So the income limits on Roth IRAs, for example, their deductibility limits on traditional IRAs, for example, all of these things, your CPA should be able to educate you on if they can't, you need a new CPA. Thanks for the call. We have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes. My main point, main focus point, is set up by this question. What's changing for retirement in 2024? Inflation adjustments, phasing in of the legislation called Secure, Act, Secure 2.0 will have implications for retirement savers and retirees. So we're going to talk about the Secure 2.0 legislation, retirement changes for 2024 and what inflation adjusted limits will be okay so we're gonna look at that also if you're young on the young side or maybe you have children nieces nephews grandchildren that are just getting into the investing world i don't say game investing world It's important to have a little perspective and figure out how they should attack this new world that we're living in with equity risk premiums near zero. So we're going to look at that. Also, a lot of offbeat market performers, meaning really sub-niches within different sectors that did very well. And we're going to talk about which ones those were this year. And then lastly, cash on the sidelines. There's a lot of cash on the sidelines. What does that mean for potential Fed rate cut next year? So we're going to look at that. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to options and the ETF CFA. And we have an iTunes view question to get to as well. Now we're going to head to our first break. But after the break, I'm going to run down what happened in the market today. Give you some perspective there. And But before we hit that break, I want to remind you to enter our holiday giveaway contest to receive a free copy of Steve's book about average investing for the average investor. Very simple to to win. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as our Instagram channel and like our holiday giveaway post and tag three friends. Choose one winner each day until the end of the month. Now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART.
2: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Picker symbol L-E-C-O. just to get your opinion on... JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein.
1: You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business.
2: Steve Peasley.
1: It's a very well run company. And
2: now Luke Guerrero.
1: Even growth is significantly higher than its competitors.
2: Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call
1: 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Rick. He is in Kansas. Wants to look at Steel Dynamics STLD. The owner looking to buy it.
0: Uh, looking to buy.
1: Okay. What do you like about it? i it's
0: been in a nice uptrend. Seems like they've got a good business model. Really expanding in a lot of different areas. But... Uh, you know, I, the uptrend is what intrigues me the most.
1: Well, it is in a longer-term uptrend, and that's what you certainly want to see. Earnings this year are supposed to be down, however, 35% from last year's $22.68. But that's well above pre-pandemic earnings of around $3. Now, historically, this is a business that is very cyclical. It's very up and down. And for everyone else out there, Steel Dynamics, it is a domestic steel manufacturer. One of, frankly, the best run out there. And they're out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And as long as earnings can stay relatively in this ballpark, because relative is is an important term here. Because next year, they're supposed to only earn $9.70. But both this year and next year's earnings expectations are being upgraded. So that's a positive. And so it is an uptrend. Relative strength of 67. That's solid. And I've always said the domestic producers. This one and there's one new core is the are the other other one that uh, or is the other one that they have the best historical profitability. Everyone looks at U.S. Steel because the name, but U.S. Steel is now getting bought. And frankly, that once again isn't uh, wasn't the best uh, steel producer that's out there. So steel dynamics is certainly up there. I like if you if you want steel exposure, this is the name. This or newcore, one or the other. And like you said, this is an uptrend. It's having a little bit of pullback now. Their debt is modest, which I like. Pretty much no debt, less than a billion dollars in net debt on its balance sheet. Free cash flow two point three billion on a two twenty billion dollar market cap. That's about a eleven percent free cash flow yield. I like that. The dividend is certainly safe with a cash pay ratio of less than 10%. So I don't think the dividend's going anywhere with that clean balance sheet. So I'm going to give Steel Dynamics a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Let's take a look at the market today. The second to last day of the year. And frankly, not a whole lot going on. It was basically a flat day. Overall, it's like, what did the S&P actually close at? Closed up 1.7 points, 1.7 points. So basically two-tenths of 1%. Big movers, you had some of the Bitcoin names down. Marathon Holdings, Riot Platforms, those were down pretty big. Tesla was down 3%. That showed some recent weakness. What were some of the big gainers? Any big gainers here? I'm just looking at the list of big movers, up or down, Nobody, nothing that really catches my eye, to be frank. It was a pretty boring day, very common at this time of year. Between Christmas and New Year's, business tends to slow. Most people are on vacation. And that's where you get big sellers, is when people are active in the market. They go out there and want to rebalance their portfolio dramatically. And especially as we go into year end, people maybe want to take less capital gains. So they're waiting until January. So there's not a whole lot of people trying to sell, as well as not a lot of people trying to uh, buy beyond the systematic buyers. So that's why you had a boring day as we go into the final trading day of the year tomorrow. Now, when people take the time to leave an InvestTalk podcast review on iTunes, we have to thank them for the courtesy by getting to the questions quickly. Jay from Long Island says, "I've been listening. I've been listening since 2020 and love the show. I've been looking to invest." For the long-term and energy sector and your views on nuclear power just accentuated my own. So last year, I took a position in Cameco CCJ and bought in the low to mid-20s. It's currently went up to 44. Should I take profits and diversify with URA or should I hold on to CCJ? Okay, so here's the way to think about it. CCJ, the largest Western uranium miner in the world. Out of Canada, we've owned this as well from the low twenties. Now it's at forty. It's pulled back a little bit. Was at about forty-seven. Now we're just shy of forty-three, and it was overbought, so not a shock to see this kind of come in a, a little bit. Support will be right around forty dollars per share. That's kind of where we're expecting it to uh, to probably go, somewhere in that range, and that would be good support. So there could be some more near-term downside, uh, but we still think this is the best uranium producer uh, to buy. Now you could go buy UR, URA, which is more of a an ETF, or it is an ETF that owns a bunch of different uranium uh, miners. And you could say diversity helps there, but you're diversing away from the largest, most consistent miner out there to those that are less consistent. And you have... A lot of in that ETF, you have a lot of speculative miners that may or may not actually hit pay dirt, right? Actually get actually get their mines coming to fruition, right? Uh, and so I rather just own CCJ, to be frank, because it's so large, it's so strong, so consistent, uh, and most of those junior miners are not going to actually. Ev- produce anything in the long term. So uh, I'm sticking with CCJ. And so are we, for our clients. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the stock Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888 99
2: The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888
1: 99 Chart. Now, my focus point set up by this question what what's changing for retirement in 2024 every year typically brings some sort of of change in the retirement landscape and this year a bit more mainly because of the secure 2.0 legislation that was passed and continues to be phased In, but there are adjustments to tax brackets, retirement contribution limits, estate and gift tax, gift exemption amounts, and more. So let's go over them. Now, the first are higher tax brackets, and this is uh, underrated—an underrated aspect for individuals and really the broader economy, because if the tax rates change, and you don't get a raise, for example. Or a minimal raise, you can actually get a, get a net raise because maybe you might be moved into a lower tax bracket because that limit moves you above, right? For example, so that's why you see if you ever get tax withholdings each year, and the New Year passes, uh, your tax withholdings might might shift a little bit, and that's because of the difference in the, in, the, in the tax rates from year to year. Now, the top marginal income tax rate is thirty seven percent for twenty twenty four. And that applies to single filers with incomes over $609,350 or married couples filing jointly making over $731,200. Now, this year, that threshold was significantly less 578,125 for single and 693.75 for married. So, if you're married filing jointly, that limit went up. Nearly $40,000. Okay, that's a, that's a big change. Now, another limit that is underappreciated, and this goes back to what we discussed a couple weeks ago on the show, which was not harvesting losses in your investment accounts, but harvesting gains, potentially long-term capital gains. Because if you are single and you make less than $47,000 per year and you have long-term capital gains, that's taxed at zero. Zero. If you're married filing jointly, that limit is $94,000. So for example, let's say you retire, you and your spouse retire, you're 65. You wait, take social security until you're 70. You have no income. But you have retirement accounts, you have taxable investment accounts, you can go and you can sell up to $94,000 worth of gains in your taxable brokerage account. And as long as those are long term gains, you're not taxed at all. I know that's an extreme example, but you know, there, there can be years where that capital gains harvesting does make sense. So those are the, the new limits. And this also applies to Roth conversions. So when those those tax tax brackets goes when those tax brackets go up, that allows you a little more room to do tax convert, Roth IRA conversions. So this is the same thing. You retired, you maybe have no or little income. You can do Roth conversions and convert those at a very very low tax rate. Okay, so that's something to think about. Now, Secure 2.0, the latest legislation, also changes the way Roth 401ks work from now on in 2024 on into the future. Before, you actually had to take RMDs from Roth 401ks. Now, that's no longer true, which never made sense in the first place, but at least now it's, it's, uh, it's secure, right? And so that's something that is changing for 2024. And then contribution limits for 401Ks, IRAs, et cetera, for example. It's going up to 23000 for 401Ks, 40, 403Bs, and 457s. If you're over the age of 50, that's going to go up to 30500 That's your contribution limit for 401Ks. IRA contribution limits for O's under 50 will be 7000 Over 50 will be 8000 For For total 401K contribution limits, up to sixty nine. $1000 that's including employee matches etc. And then 75 on top of that if you're over 50. What else? HSAs. That's going up to forty one hundred and fifty for people covered by individual high deductible plans, 8300 for people that are covered by family high deductible health care plans. See any other big changes? Yeah, so basically if you want to max Maximize your IRA contributions. You should put automatic contributions. We do this for clients uh, monthly. And if you're under 50, it's going to be $583 per month to contribute. If you're over 50, $666 per month. Estate plan, estate gift tax. That's going up to, what is it? 13 dollars million per person so if you're married that's over 27 million you can shield from the estate tax now barring congressional action however the estate tax exemption will snap back so we know the the Trump era tax cuts those were expire in 2025 and in 2026, if that is not updated, it's going to snap back to 7 million per person from 13.6 now uh, and 14 million for married couples. So we'll see what that looks like going into the end of next year. All right, ready right into a break? Give me a call now at 888 99 chart. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com, that's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. You've got finance and
2: investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk,
1: 888-99-CHART. Recession outlook. Experts think a mild recession is possible in 2024. In a December survey, 76% of economists said they believe the chance of recession in the next 12 months is 50% or less. So we'll get to that story tomorrow. But for now, let's take another caller question from 888-99-CHART.
2: Hello, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Paolo from Gaithersburg calling. Today I have a question for you guys about Power Inc. It's an industrial name. I think it's like a mid to small cap. I'm not sure like, if it's the right time to get in. I already started a small position just to check the stock and i um, curious about what you guys think about the company. If it has a good outlook for the next five years, let's say. Looking forward uh, for your answer on the show, as always, and I wish you all the best uh, for the end of the year and the upcoming years because I really love your show, and I appreciate the work you guys
1: do. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, here is Powell, Inc. Powell Industries? Uh, Maybe that's the one he's talking about. I, I... I'm not sure. Okay, yeah, that's probably the one he's looking at. Powell Powell Industries, P.O. That's what I'm gonna go with. <laughs> uh, it's a small to mid cap. You're right. It's what's well, a small cap? One billion dollar market cap, and it is on a tear. Basically, beginning of the year it was trading around twenty dollars per share. Right now, it's at eighty nine dollars and twenty cents. That's because earnings last year were thirty five cents. This year is supposed to be four dollars and fifty cents, five dollars and nine cents next year, and five dollars and twenty-eight cents the year after. They manufacture power substations, packaging switches, uh, et cetera. So they're in the electric electricity business, okay? Um, and you can see why that's doing so well. Their products comprise integrated power control room substations, custom engineered modules, electrical housing, traditional and arc-resistant distributor switch gear and control gears and so on. So uh, they're applied in oil and gas, offshore oil and gas production, petrochemical, pipeline terminal, mining and metals, light rail transaction, electric utilities, pulp and paper, and heavy industrial markets. So I like this. I like where it's at. The question is, has it ran too far? The good thing is they have no debt, a very clean balance sheet, and effectively about 230 million in cash just sitting on its balance sheet. Its free cash flow lately is 174 million, trailing 12 months. That puts the current free cash flow yield at, ooh, north of 200%, or sorry, not 200%, 20%. Very, very robust. I like that. I would just have to be confident that this level of earnings can be sustained. If it can, if you think that 4 to $5 in earnings is, is sustainable, then this is a buy. And the technicals are fine. Relative strength is 96. P.O. Let me just bring up the chart here. There we go. Yeah, it's been consolidating pretty much since an earnings announcement in early August. Hanging here around $80, $85 per share. Had a recent pullback. I like this. Powell, P-O-W-L. You just have to make sure you have confidence in that five dollars in earnings being sustained. All right, let's go to Gene in North Carolina. He wants to talk about capital gains.
0: Hi, Justin. Yeah, I wanted to follow up on what you mentioned about um, the thresholds for uh, income to get zero mm-hmm. percent capital long-term capital capital gains. Mm-hmm. You had, I think, you had mentioned it was ninety-four thousand and forty-four thousand for single.
1: That's what it's like going this? to next year. yep.
0: Those are actually the amount of taxable income, so mm-hmm. it's actually even better that you you need to add to it at least the amount of the standard deduction uh, to both those numbers for your your actual income or actual capital gains.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's that's certainly true, and this is why this is always a, a CPA question. Uh, everyone's situations a little bit different because. It depends on what state they're living in, what's their state capital gains, uh, what's their state tax rate look like, uh, what other income do they have. uh, uh, Do they have any uh, pension income, Social Security income? Social Security income looks different than a lot of other types of income as well in the way it's taxed. So there's a lot of complexities there with taxes. That's why. I'm not a CPA, I just kind of get basic stuff, but you definitely want to add you definitely want to go with a CPA to plan out how much you should take. That's why I always sit with my CPA late November, early December and figure out, okay, from a business perspective as well as a personal perspective, how you know what what can I do to uh limit taxes, and I think everybody should be doing something like that. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on Younger investors, young investors. There are a lot of lessons to be learned. And there are a lot of the lessons that we talk about on the show. Things like save early, invest early. Take advantage of the magic of compounding of returns. Stick to your strategy, diversify. Don't ruin your strategy by chasing hot assets. But young investors face a difficult choice these days. And the main issue is that we just came off of a few decades of very strong asset returns. Mainly driven by low interest rates and rising profit margins for corporations due to globalization and Uh, being able to access capital cheaply as well as labor cheaply and resources cheaply. And in many ways, a lot of those things are reversing to a degree. We know globalization is reversing to a degree. We know that the cost of capital is going up because of inflation, but also because boomers are retiring and they're looking for safer assets. And with the geopolitical concerns, obviously resource, access to resources, think of energy resources, mineral resources, et cetera, becomes a lot more difficult. And therefore, for looking returns for asset prices, not as rosy as it once was. So for the next generation, maybe a little harder to squeeze the juice out of this, uh, the investment market. Now, The good news is we've had a little bit of correction in asset prices but not a dramatic one and the equity risk premium basically the reward for investing in stocks over safe government bonds has fallen to the lowest level in decades. Now that's the bad news. The good news is that for today young investors have access to a lot of financial information that can be good, and that can be bad. The bad is that they're falling victim to a lot of gimmicks which crimp their long-term returns. It's one of the reasons why a lot of them are chasing crypto, for example. But young investors, because of their lack of experience, they're, they're more vulnerable to making bad decisions. For example, at the end of last year, Vanguard found that younger generations allocated more money to cash than older. Gen Z, born after 1986, had 29% of their portfolios in cash, compared to boomers at 19%. So as we know, cash doesn't have very good returns. Since 1900, across a dozen plus decades, the real return on treasury bills and cash was 0.4% per year. They're a real return after inflation. Think about 0.4%. It was barely positive. And the same thing is true with bonds. Gen Z, very few bonds make up 5% of a typical Gen Z's portfolio compared to 20% for boomers. And bonds have a better return, better return long-term. Not as good as equities, which are closer to 6 or 7% real, but still 1.7% real returns on bonds over a dozen plus decades. A lot more than cash, but not as much as equities. And that goes in a third trap. If they're not taking, if, if they're not understanding how it, to take reasonable, mild amount of risk, that's basically what bonds are, right? It's saying, okay, I'm going to get a decent return, but not an amazing return. And a lot of that is because they're chasing those amazing returns and they tend to like the thematic investing and they tend to chase the hot fund, the hot sector, when we know that that rarely sticks. They're betting on things like volatility, cannabis stocks, AI stocks. And if there's anything to be learned over the past five to seven years, think about how many flash in the pan, big return years there were for all types of sub-asset classes. Think of the meme stocks. GameStop, for example. The cannabis stocks, they had a good year and then they crashed. Volatility did really well until... Right, short volatility did well until volatility broke out, and then a lot of those funds went to zero. And they're even betting on weird ETFs that come out that are super, super niche, and a lot of them fold up. There's that meme ETF that just recently folded. So niche strategies do nothing new, but we know that all that does is. Expose these investors to more volatility, less liquidity, and higher fees. And see, it's it's easier than ever for these ETF companies to launch customized ETFs, advertise them, and sell them on social media, even on apps like the Robinhood app. And the sad thing is, because forward-looking returns are less than you've seen in the past, think they're bad investments the reality is they're not i said this many times people try to time the market they think markets overvalued i get this sentiment all the time first off the reality is equities are not overvalued right now even after this run i argue they're fairly valued now some sectors are far overvalued some sectors are far undervalued that's true but in aggregate equities are not really that expensive for it and if you look at the data Even if equities were modestly overvalued, they're still likely to outperform cash or bonds. Only when equities are egregiously overvalued, like in 2000, during the dot-com bubble 1.0, that's the only time over the past 25 years where equities didn't produce a better return for you over an extended period of time than cash. And there was a study, it was done by Vanguard, again, and it looked at the when the accounts were open, when investment accounts were open, and how much exposure there was to equities. And what's interesting is, when people invest, when prices are high, right, they put money in, they tend to keep it that way, mainly because they just want to get back to even, but that's usually not the best way to go, right? So what happens is people will open an account, say they opened an account in 2004 after the dot-com bubble 1.0, when equities had crashed. Only 72% of those, 72% of those accounts today are in, are in equities. Whereas if those that opened in 99 at the peak of the dot-com bubble, those 86% of their portfolios are in cash. So it shows you that people harvest those gains too quickly. And they hold on to the losses too long. And that's another lesson young investors can learn. That it's not about what happened in the past. It's about what is likely to happen in the future. And so you need to accept the market that we have. And you need to have the wisdom to be able to Not let the past color your view of the future in both directions. Which means that it's understanding the fundamentals of where we are today. Not going back and saying, oh, well, this was up 10% or this was up 15%. I see that a lot as well you look at two different funds using two different strategies and they compare apples to oranges without understanding what those investments are. I had a client I talked to today. You look at one fund up 18%, another up 14% and they think that, oh, the one that ate up is up 18% is the better one. That's not necessarily true. It's not. Why? Because maybe the one that's up 14% is taking a lot less risk to earn that 14%. So the risk-adjusted return is far more important than just the absolute return. And unless you have that perspective, which most young investors, they have a difficult time with that. Unless so you have that perspective, more often than not, you're going to be chasing that 18% return. When in reality, that, 14, that, that fund that produced that 14% is probably the better one if it is a better risk-adjusted return. Well, I went on long with that, but that means we're headed into our final break. This is invest talk now with more than 57 million downloads in our history, and we're headed out to our final break. So get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
2: Invest talk is here to help. And when you download the free invest talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review the phone lines are open eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hi, this is Greta from Palm desert. And I had a question actually to a follow up from your episode with like the year's best calls. And there was the young man who had the question about, he was 18. He was investing like $500. And the advice was to invest in either or both of the QQQ and or the SPY. And I was wondering if you could speak to the difference of the QQQ and the QQQM. All right. Thanks so
1: much. It's a great question. I'm trying to figure that out myself. (laughs) Uh, Because, yeah, I mean, QQQM... They're both by Invesco. QQQM has 15 basis point expense ratio versus QQQ at 20. I'm literally trying to look this up, and I don't know the difference. One's called the Invesco NASDAQ 100 ETF, and the other is the Invesco QQQ Trust, which both... Look like the Q's. or looks like Nasdaq I mean I I'm frankly I don't know <laughs> I wish I could tell you I I'm, a lot of times these things are deep buried in the prospectus just looking at the holdings they look pretty much the same yeah I don't see much difference here there is a difference it's not discernible by the eye looking at the holdings um so yeah go with the lower expense ratio that'd be qqqm interesting now lastly let's touch on cash the amount of cash in the system the peak in 2000 and was it 2000, late 2008 early 2009 of cash in money markets was right around $4 trillion. You know what today is? It's nearly $6 trillion, 50% larger. And I think the question is, right now, we have 5% yield on cash, roughly, if you're in a high-yield savings account or a treasury money market account or something like that. But as we know, said many times, that is subject to change if the Fed lowers rates. And then you have to ask yourself if money go if the the cost of money, the yield on cash goes down. What do people do with that money? Do you think they're going to spend it? Well, if you lost your job or you think you might lose your job, you're probably not going to spend it. Maybe you'll accept a little bit lower yield, or Are you going to go take that cash, buy things that would yield more? For example, equities, corporate bonds. And so, is this just dry tinder waiting to be ignited? And look at the recent move in asset prices. Look how quickly equities moved up on just the fed pausing 10-year dropping from five percent to four percent now what happens if there's a true rate cutting cycle that more of that cash going to come off the sidelines and into asset prices or into assets thus driving up asset prices I think that's very possible and also could ignite inflation once again. So it's going to be a very interesting time over the next year or so. Going through our first major rate cutting cycle. Post the first inflationary, large inflationary impulse since the 1970s. So I wanted to highlight that because it's very important to understand the amount of cash that's flowing through this system. And when people are trying to are worried about big deflationary busts, like a or COVID crisis, the data just does not in any way, shape or form support that no matter the bias that people are colored by through the lens of those time periods. Well, that about does it. I'm Justin Klein. It's another Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Talk. Good night.